we are going to be in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. So right now we're, we're working our way through the book of John, a series called God With Us, uh, because as we learned in John 1, that when we see Jesus, we are seeing God in the flesh, that God didn't just look from a distance and have some compassion and threw us maybe something to help us, but he himself came down uh, and lived among us to help us and to serve us. So we're going to be in John chapter 2, verse 13, John 2, 13. And I just want to do a, a bit of a, of a thought experiment. So um, imagine, you know, you were in your home. Let's say you, you went out for a while, and maybe, maybe a friend or a relative was, was at your home when you were away, and they just decided to have a party when you were away. Now let's imagine that this wasn't a, a very calm party. Let's, let's imagine that they decided to, you know, party so hard that maybe things got destroyed a little bit, you know. You may, maybe something, maybe your, your refrigerator, you know, was broken. Maybe they busted your TV. Now listen, you could, you could go back and you could say to that uh, particular friend, hey, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And they would say, well, it's, it, I, it's, it was, it's not about you. Like, I'm not trying to hurt you. It's just, just your house. You'd be like, well, I understand that I am not my house. But if you're messing with my house, you messing with me. <laughs> Right? Like, if you, go, if you come in my house and do something that, it, that, I, that is not agreeable, we're going to have an issue. And it would feel very, very personal, even if it didn't actually affect you. And so you, not only would you feel some sort of way, you also have a big, strong desire to fix it, right? Or maybe to, to get money from them and, and then fix it, right? You're like, I need to, to rectify what's going wrong. So in this passage, we see Jesus responding to what he feels is disrespect in his house. He's responding to what he feels is disrespect in his house. We're also going to see what he does or what he is going to do to fix what is broken in his house. So John 2.13, we're going to read. It says, the Jewish Passover was near. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered what it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he, that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us to understand your word? 
Lord, we can't understand it without your help. And Lord, would you help us not only to understand it, but to apply it. That we could, could, could live a life of, of, of responsive love to you, responsive obedience when we consider all that you have done for us. So speak Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we can understand by reading the scripture is that Jesus is zealous for God's house. Now, zeal, that's not a word that we, we use a lot, uh, but there was one disciple. His name was Simon, no, Judas, Judas the zealot. Now, what that meant was he, his zeal says, uh, you know, I don't like these Romans in my country, and so I'm going to take my sword and I'm going to handle it. That's That's zeal. Zeal is this, this intense passion that, that could cause you to act with decisiveness, and it's, it's a borderline violentness about it. That there is, a, like, if, I, if I'm zealous about something and you are in the way of what I am zealous about, you might want to step aside. And we can see in this passage that Jesus is zealous. He saw, he saw those people in the temple selling and, and having money changed. And verse 15 says, after making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house to a marketplace. There's a meme that says, next time you ask somebody, what would Jesus do? You need to keep in mind that this is in the realm of possibility. The first thing we've got to ask is, what, what exactly is going on here? Like, we can read this and we'll be like, does Jesus hate sheep? Or like, what's, what's going on? You know, like, so we, we just need to, to get some background. The first question is, we need to ask, what is the temple? Let's not assume we know. What is the temple? And, and why did he feel so strongly about this temple? So the temple was this place where, where God met with people. It, in, in a way, it was like a doorway to heaven. This, this idea that when the, when the Israelites would go to the temple, though they indeed knew that God was in heaven, they also believed that God was uniquely present in the temple to meet with them. And the types of things that they would do is that, is that they would offer these, these animal sacrifices. This is a strange practice because we don't usually see that. But what's going on is, is God has instituted this in order to show how, one, grievous sin is, how bad it is, and at the same time show that he is willing to forgive that sin. And so you can imagine going to the temple, thinking about all of the sin that, that you, you have uh, done and committed, and what would happen is you would go to the temple, and, and the practice was you would put your hand on whatever animal was about to be slaughtered, and you would begin to confess your sins. You would confess your sins, and, and what would happen is this, this animal would, would representatively die in your place. And God has instituted this, so you know that, that God is saying, no, I'm not going to count your sins against you. Even though your sins deserve what has happened to this animal, I'm not going to count your sins against you. It was God, even in this, this bloody sacrifice, it was God inviting us to come to him and to experience forgiveness. So what was wrong with what was happening in the temple? So travelers, imagine like if, if this was, uh, if this was say it was in Colombia, and you had a cow that you wanted to go sacrifice, it would be kind of difficult to get your cow to Colombia, right? Unless you had a, a nice little, you know, trailer. 
So the idea was people were coming from all around, and they couldn't always bring their animal. And so they had some animals on site and that they would sell so that you could do your sacrifice. It, it's not that crazy when you think about it. It's like, oh, this is, this is a convenience, right? I, I can't bring everything that I have, and so we have some on site. Not only that, you, you read about these, these money changers, right? Uh, the, the, you needed the right currency. So if you came to the church and you decided to give me uh, some pesos, that would be really nice, I guess. But then when I would go to the bank, I'd have some issues, right? And so they were, they were, they were trying to make worship more convenient, which, again, that doesn't sound horrible, right? Like, this, seems, this seems appropriate. But originally, this, this site of, of where they were selling the animals, where they were, they were doing the currency exchange, it was across uh, a valley. So it wasn't right next to the temple. And it was disordered not because it was intrinsically bad. It was disordered because of the location. Now, we, if we've never been to uh, maybe a, a another country, we can't really imagine what a marketplace would look like because when you think about marketplace, maybe you're thinking about going to the mall where man, it's not Friday night and it's kind of quiet. But I, I, I used to be a missionary in East Asia, and when you would go to the market, it was not a quiet place at all, right? Yeah, like, there's a lot of bartering going on. So somebody would say, this is, you know, 10. I'd be like, nah, it's five. And, you know, like, we would just have this, this conversation back and forth, and that's just what you did. And so there's this, this market. Imagine I'm preaching, and people are right here arguing about how much something costs. You would have a hard time paying attention, yeah? You'd be like, this is somewhat distracting. What are you, what are you doing? This is the issue because, because in, in, in the house that was supposed to be a place of prayer and the house that was supposed to be where people would meet with the living God, they were doing something that wasn't intrinsically wrong, but they were doing something in the wrong location, which meant that people could not meet with God. That worship is, is supposed to meant to be reverent, right? We don't come flippantly to the creator of all things. That would be crazy. If you were going to meet with some dignitary, you would probably think, what am I going to say? How should I behave? What should I do? If you came all crazy, the dignitary might be like, nah, you need to to back up off. So this was an issue, and there also was another issue. So the exact location that this was going on in the temple was this place called the Court of the Gentiles. What this means is that it is for those who were maybe beginning to believe in the God of Israel, but they hadn't yet gone through uh, uh, the, 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 uh, um, the circumcision and all the rites to be a full Jewish believer. But they were, they were curious enough to come to the temple and wanted to do some worship. Now, I, I can imagine, knowing what I know about first century Jewish culture, that there was some racism in the heart. One of the favorite names that Jews are called Gentiles or ethnically non-Jews was dogs. That's just one of the things that they would say. These are dogs. And I can imagine when somebody says, hey, let's, let's move all that stuff into the temple. And Well, where are we going to put it? Oh, you can put it over there. I don't, we, don't, it's not, we don't really care about what's going on with the Gentiles. They'll get over it. it it's, you know, it's not. It's not. Well, we, we can leave it. We can go to the other parts of the temple. We, we can put that thing we can put that over there. This is a, in direct conflict with God's intention because all throughout the Old Testament, God is saying, I'm going to call all nations to myself. And so with this disorderedness in their heart where they put their, their, ethnic, uh, their ethnicity over God's prescription, 
They were disobeying. They were disobeying. And so we can see why Jesus is a bit frustrated about that. That there is these, these systematic issues of not being reverent. And also, it wasn't simply vertical. There was some horizontal sin going on as well. You know, something interesting. One thing I noticed as, as I live uh, in the community and talk to people, there, there's, like a, there's like a news uh, service that's not on the TV. It's just word of mouth. And so I'll hear different things, um, things that maybe somebody was, you know, murdered or, or just very intense things. And then I'll go home and I'm like, this got to be on the news, right? Like, this got to be on the news. I can't find it. Can't find it. And I think maybe the news is like, well, that, that's just over there. And that's, that's over there in that, that area of town. There's a, there's, a, there's a disrespect there. And it reflects a disorderedness of the heart. But the fact of the matter is Jesus will not stand for God's disrespect. Because disrespecting God's house is what? Is disrespecting God. You can't come up in my house talking about, well, I can mess your house up, but it's not personal. It's like, no, nah, it's personal because you're in my house. Jesus cared about reverence worship. Jesus cared about multi-ethnic worship, that they would both point to his unique glory, that when we come to him, we come with a humble heart. And we also realize that Jesus wants worship from all different kinds of people. Not only is Jesus zealous about his glory, but he's also zealous about our joy. See, the temple is not only a place of sacrifice, but it's, it's supposed to be a place of joy. This is, this is from the Psalms. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. He's talking about the temple. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. So so it's not simply that that he is this God who, who only cares about his glory and doesn't care about you, but he set it up in a way that the closer you are to him, the more joy that you feel in the depths of your heart. So Jesus is certainly concerned about God's glory but he's also concerned about your joy. And so what's going on is not only it is, is it, uh, it's not reverent towards God, but, but he's like, no, people are coming from all over to meet with the living God, and you are treating this as if this does not matter. And it's a disruptor of people's joy and happiness. This tells us something that's really interesting. So like I said, the selling of the, the animals, that, that's not like a sin to sell stuff, right? Right? We have business to do that, and it's not a sin to, to do currency exchange. But the sin was that it was disordered. And the fact of the matter is that all sin is about disorder, because what worship is, is worship is saying, I value something above something else. And what sin is, is it takes a value that might not be wrong, such as pleasure, Right? And says, I'm going to place pleasure or comfort or, or, or my own opinion above what God has said. But if, if it was ordered correctly, it wouldn't be the issue. Right? It's not, it's not bad that you want that thing. It becomes wrong when you want it so bad that you steal it. 
right? So that this disorder, this, this is coming to the heart of what worship is because God has created these things in the world for us to enjoy. But when something, when a desire, when a value, when an identity becomes supreme, functionally, that is when we walk in sin. And we can see this in this passage where the Jews are are valuing their ethnic identity above what Jesus wants. Then it says in, in verse 17, it says, And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Now listen, when you ever see uh, something in bold or, 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 or you see something that, that looks a little different than other words, it means it's quoting some scripture. And so if, if you're a good exegete, if you're, if you're really trying to understand what the scriptures are saying, you'll go back and read. Well, where is that coming from? So they're quoting from Psalm 69. Psalm 69, 7 says, For I have endured insults because of you, and shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, a foreigner to my mother's son, because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The psalm is pointing to, to the fact that Jesus is a righteous sufferer, that because he cares about and does what is right, he will face suffering. Jesus is going to take the flack for standing up for God's degrees. Jesus' pursuit of righteousness, listen, is in in line with the legacies of those who pursue God and pursue justice. We have this this, this trend in Scripture that the one who says, I'm going to follow God, the one who says, I'm going to do what is right, oftentimes ends up suffering. Right? The the very first uh, 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 murder in Scripture is of this man named Abel. And the New Testament says, well, Cain murdered Abel because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's were not. This is the trajectory. And this is still true today. That if we stand up for what is right, we can expect that we're going to face some sort of pushback for that. Right? I remember... I've told you that, that we're really praying this year about how can we uh, pursue justice in a really concrete, on- ongoing way. So when, when I say pursue justice, I mean, how can we advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves? How can we serve needs that are not being served? And so one of the things I've been doing is I've been meeting with pastors and clergy and just asking, hey, what, what does your church do? Is that something we can do? And I remember I was, I was meeting uh, with, with, uh, with a guy named Father Pat. He's uh, at St. Anthony's downtown. And one of the things that he's known for is that his church fights uh, gentrification. And what they do is they buy up big old plots of land. And they, they put contracts on the land that, that kind of uh, uh, prevents it from getting inflated too much. And I was talking to him about that, and he said, do you understand how many people are mad at me? <laughs> do you understand the real estate developers do not like me? That when I leave town, they try to pass laws real quick when I'm, when I'm not around? And I thought, man, he's just trying to help people. <laughs> he's trying to ha- have people retain their homes. But again... He is in that line of of a righteous sufferer. And so obviously if Jesus is coming up and he's giving out orders and he has his whip out doing all this stuff, if if you are around there, you're like, well, what what gives you the right to do that? Why can't you just roll up and do that? That This is exactly what the question the Jews asked. Look at verse 18. It says, so the Jews replied to him, 
what sign will you show us for doing these things? In other words, how, how can you just go ahead and do that? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he had said and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. So here's something that we need to understand. If we remember back in chapter one, there's this verse that says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that word dwelt, if you were reading it in the original language, it, it would sound like he tabernacled among us. And see, the tabernacle was, was what was the precursor of the temple. It was the place where God dwelled. And what he's making this claim is, is that, yes, that I know that there is a physical structure of a temple, but when you have seen me, you have seen the ultimate place where God resides. See, the, the reason that Jesus has authority over that temple is because he is the true temple. He is the place where God's presence and his promises meet. He is what the, the temple is pointing to. You know, the temple had, had a, a lot of things, but two things that were prominent. The temple had priests and the temple had sacrifices. So a priest is like a, like a, like a mediator or a go-between. It's, it's like, like you and God have some issues, and the priest is like, all right, you come here. Let me, let me, let me get you close to God. Let me, let me make sure that you understand how your sins can be forgiven. And, and, and what the Scripture says is that all those priests are actually pointing to the greater priest, who is Jesus. Now, the priests in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice various animals, but Jesus says, I am the sacrifice. So Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice to draw us near to God. Because of that, he has a unique place of authority. No one can bring us to God like Jesus. And not only this, Jesus' authority comes from his resurrection power. Because Jesus is God, because he has defeated death, he can direct how worship goes. And I love the fact that at the end it says the disciples believe because of the scriptures and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's something that, that is so beautiful about the scriptures. That if you read these 66 books writ written by 40 some odd authors over the span of a thousand years, you will see continuity. You will see prophecies made in Genesis and Exodus and Isaiah being fulfilled in Jesus. It will increase your faith, and you will see God's power. The last thing that happens in our passage is, is in verse 23. It says, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Get this, though. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. Because he did not, did not need anyone to testify about man because he himself knew what was in man. The question I had to ask myself was, why, why are those two passages together? Why is he talking about, I'm going to, you know, he's got a whip and he's going hard in the temple. And what, how does that connect? See, what was going on in the temple was, again, there was disordered worship, right? It wasn't things that were intrinsically bad, but they were things that were in the wrong place. And the reality is this, is that Jesus sees the disorder in our own hearts, that, that that is not hidden from him. 
And if we're all honest, we all have that, that disorder. Where there are times when we value things in such a way that is destructive to ourselves and to those around us. And the reason Jesus said, I'm not going to put my whole trust in anyone, is because our worship is disordered. Our worship is disordered. But here's the beautiful thing. Just as Jesus sees the disorder of the temple and decides to clean it, in the same way, when he sees our disorder, he decides to clean it. See, Scripture teaches that those who believe in Christ are, are like little temples. They're places where, where God dwells, and, and Jesus wants this worship, this proper worship, to take place in our hearts. Not simply because he's just so thirsty for worship, but because he is thirsty and hungry for our joy. He wants us to experience the joy of worship, not that we have to go somewhere else, but in the confines of our own body, that he wants us to experience the joy of knowing who God is. See, when the psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place, man, we need to read that with new covenant eyes. That that could be your very heart. That that's where God could dwell. See, Jesus is the one who cleanses us so that we could be near. You see, we see this theme of, of this righteous sufferer. So Jesus, he did no wrong. You know, he demonstrated that what wrong deserves is a whip, right? He is the one who was whipped. See, but, but when he was on the way to be crucified, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was spat, spat upon, he, all these insults were hurled at him. And then the reality is that we deserve that treatment because of our disordered worship. And because Jesus loves us, he says, I will take it. I will be the righteous sufferer. And his righteous suffering is not only something to look at and think that is beautiful, but it has power to cleanse us of our sins. This response to disordered worship that would dishonor God and that would hurt others, Jesus said, I'll take it. See, his, his death, his, his suffering was, was as a substitute. Remember, he is representing both the priest and the sacrifice. He's going to be in our place. And he makes us temples and cleanses us. The scripture says that just as God's power is displayed in Jesus' resurrection, his power is displayed in making us new. Jesus cleanses the temple, and that is good news for us. And one of the beautiful things is Jesus will lovingly continue to clean us. Now, that might sound real cool, right? Oh, man, I'm so glad he cleanses us. I want, I want to imagine, like, you're in the temple that day that Jesus rolled up. Like, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to go about my business. I'm trying to buy this cow. You know what I'm saying? I got the wrong currency. I'm just doing my thing. And Jesus rolls up with a whip. And you're like, why, why did I go here today? You know, like, what in the world happened? Je Jesus, do you know him? What is he doing? Like, like, I just feel like in that moment, you were like, this is not what I want to happen right now. This is very uncomfortable and it's awkward. And I really wish you weren't doing that right now. 
But Jesus says, no, I'm going to clean the temple. How many times are we facing circumstances in life where we're like, man, I would rather this not be happening? This is not, I, Jesus, what are you doing? What? What? You're standing there with a, what, what is going on? But the reality is Jesus is so zealous for God's glory and so zealous for our joy that he allows the inconveniences of our lives to make us feel uncomfortable, but to make us cling to him. I don't know if that resonates with anybody. I, as I was thinking about this text and thinking about what it means, I, I looked back over my life and thought about all the times I felt supremely uncomfortable, where I wish what was happening was not happening. And then I would look back and i say, well, man, Jesus used that to properly order some issues that were in my heart. See, Jesus wants us to pay attention to the disorder in our lives and to look to him for help. A, a very concrete way to do this is that when you have some behaviors or some attitudes that seem out of line, maybe you realize it, maybe somebody else is realizing, you should think, well, what, what am I valuing right now? So like a lot of times, when we think about sin, we're like, it's, we feel like, we talk about it like it's a mistake, like you fell down the stairs or something, right? Like, oh my, you know, but like that's not how, the Bible does not describe sin like that. It's not like I was walking. It's like, oh, man, what happened? That, that, that is not how, what it, what it, the Bible describes sin as a willful choice. So when I'm walking in sin, a very concrete practice I can do is like, what exactly am I valuing? When I have ungodly fear, what, what, is, what, is, what is this displaying that I value? When I'm lacking self-control, what, 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 what do I really want? And in uh, analyzing that and in getting others to help you analyze that, you can see where the disorder is. And ask Jesus to, to Jesus, order my heart right. I, I value my own personal security above obeying what you said. That's, that's wrong. Help me to order my life right. We need to see hardships as Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus is still zealous for the temple. He's still zealous for his people. He's zealous that we would experience true joy. See, here's the thing about sin. In the moment, it might feel real good, but there's always that moment of regret. There's always that, oh, man, I can't believe. And then sometimes you got to live with consequences. But Jesus is zealous for our joy. And he's using the things in our lives to cleanse his dwelling place, which if you are in Christ, that means you. You know, it may hurt, but it's for your joy. You know, I've, been, I've shared with most of you how I have just had some battles with anxiety and depression. About, uh, say, about four or five years ago, it was just, I had a season of like two years where I was just in a cloud. I was in a thick cloud. And I, would, I, I could not understand. I was like, Jesus, I know that you can remove this like that. <laughs> what, what is going on? <laughs> why, why are you standing there like that? Why you come up in my, my house like that, you know? The Lord showed me grace. 
But even now, this, even this past week, I, I, you can talk to my wife. I have felt this depression, this anxiety come again to the point where I'm just having these, these fast heart palpitations. And, and I'm like, part of me is like, Jesus, I'm trying to do stuff for you. Will you take this away from me? I'm trying to do what you want me to do. Now imagine going through that and having to prepare for this sermon. I'm like, Jesus, you are allowing this, this discomfort to rightly order what is disordered. Maybe I'm taking myself too seriously. Jesus, you are the one that's going to run your church. So I don't want this. I, I never want sermons to be lofty things that kind of sit over there on a shelf and they seem unhelpful. But this is something that is helpful, that is applicable. That Jesus, and listen, he's doing this because he loves us. Because he's zealous for our joy and for his glory. And we have this hope that, that all of this, like all of this, this discomfort, this frustration, this, all these complications that exist in our lives, that there will be a day when they're all over. And the scripture says we will stand before him clean. Yeah. And that's our ultimate joy. And so we can trust the same one who defeated death and the same one who is cleansing us right now to completely cleanse us and to bring us into joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would trust you. There are times when things are going on and we just can't quite understand why you would allow this, that, and the other. But Lord, would we see you as the great and loving temple cleanser that would allow things in our lives that are very unpleasant for the sake of our joy. Lord, I pray that you would increase our trust in you. I thank you that you care enough to not just leave us doing our own thing, but you care enough to properly order what is in our hearts. So, Lord, help us to have a sense of, of invitation as you allow things and do things in our hearts and our lives that seem uncomfortable, but they are for our good. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.